0: Do that happy Thanksgiving. Hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Welcome to Grace Fellowship. My name's Kevin, I have the privilege of serving as the pastor here. A few words of thanks uh, from me and from uh, our leadership. First, thanks to our deacons, uh, particularly Rob Palmer, uh, for his work in putting together our Thanksgiving feast. Thank you to all of you who came uh, and served. Uh, and welcomed those from our community who came here. I also want to thank Kaylee Martin uh, for her excellent work in uh, helping decorate the church and all of the people who helped her. Uh, So let's give give both of those groups of people a hand. Looks wonderful. Uh, Advent begins next week, uh, and so uh, we'll have a special sermon series for that. Uh, but one of the things that we do here at Grace Fellowship during this season is uh, our Grace Kids run a post office, uh, and this is an opportunity for you to send Christmas cards to other people in the church. And so, uh, what you need to do is pick up uh, one of these Christmas card lists. Uh, if you're a, if you're a brand new visitor, don't worry; you don't have to this. this Don't don't feel obliged to pick one of these up, but if you're a a member uh, or regular attender of our church, grab one of these lists. Uh, We will mail your cards for you, and by mail, meaning we we will deliver them at church. We're not going to put them in the mail, Uh, but for 25 cents, you can have your Christmas cards delivered to uh, everyone in the church. And then what we do with that, uh, with the funds raised through that, is we benefit different uh, ministries in our community that help kids. And so uh, this year, uh, the funds will go to the YMCA, uh, their scholarship fund. So uh, if you have any other questions about that, uh, you can see my wife who's in the green dress and she, she may be posted if she can get there at the post office uh, after the service today. But um, you can deliver those kind of throughout the Christmas season and all the instructions are on that, on that Christmas card list. So I uh, just wanted to give you a heads up about that. Let's go ahead and turn to Matthew's Gospel. This will be our, our last Sunday in Matthew uh, until January. And we are uh, finishing up a, a section of teaching, uh, Matthew, excuse me, that Jesus has been giving to His disciples. In chapter 10, what Jesus is doing is he's getting his disciples ready to be His messengers. He's the king. Uh, and they are going to be his ambassadors, and so uh, he is like a like a coach giving a pregame speech. He is getting them ready for their mission. Now, some of what he says in this chapter applies just to them, but then other things that he says here apply uh, all the way to those uh, who follow Jesus in the 21st century. So, um, some things are directed to them, but there are some principles that we can glean from this chapter that apply to those of us who follow Jesus as well. Uh, And what we heard Jesus say last week was kind of scary. What he tells us is that those who are his ambassadors, he tells them what to expect. And what they can expect are not ticker tape parades and parties, and not cheers and trumpets. No, he uses words like getting arrested, being taken to court, being flogged, and even death. And I don't know about you, but when you hear that description, when you hear that, hey, this is what you can expect. This is the kind of, uh, this is what you have to look forward to. You might think, man, I would not sign up for that job. Now, you can imagine what these 12 men would be feeling about this. And as we mentioned last week, right, this experience has continued. Right, It didn't, not just with these 12 But after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, it characterizes the ministry of the apostles, uh, the the foundation of the church, and then all who would believe on their account. And it has continued all the way up through Christian history to today. uh, That what Jesus describes here continues to happen in the 21st century around the world. And so there's just some scary things. In order to encourage us and to encourage them, Jesus closes his talk uh, by, by encouraging them to persevere in the face of such treatment. So not only does he say, hey, here's what you can expect, but he also tells us, here's how you persevere. And so let's listen in to Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through 42. Jesus says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, which was a Jewish name, a derogatory name for Satan, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So, therefore, have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And Do not fear those who kill the body, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive the prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Thus far, the reading of God's word, all flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding these words. Heavenly Father, would you open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word? Would you unite our hearts to fear your name? And would you satisfy us with your steadfast love? Holy Spirit, we pray that your word would come with power to our hearts, that we may be transformed. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Andre Sue Peterson is a columnist for World Magazine. Uh, And in her November 4th column of this year, she talks about living in primary versus secondary reality. So she writes this, to clarify terms, secondary reality is you need a new roof. Primary reality is you're going to die soon, and you need to get right with God. Seeing to a successful wedding day, secondary reality. Seeing to a good marriage, primary reality. Your kid making the team. Secondary reality, your kid having good character, primary reality. You get the idea. We live in both, right? Peterson's not saying that uh, one reality is not real and the other reality is. No, both are real, right? Just don't replace your roof and see how real that is. The problem is not that one is real and one isn't. The problem is that we often reverse the two, that we make what is secondary primary, and that's what sets the agenda for us, rather than allowing what is primary to set the agenda for what is secondary. And so that's what Jesus is doing here for his disciples. He is, he is anchoring them in what is primary, because they are about to face a whole host of secondary realities that are very distressing, very frightening. Right? Jesus, right, what Jesus talks about in this passage would scare any normal person. All right, the things that Jesus talks about—rejection, uh, isolation, pain, death—it's normal to be afraid of those. I don't know many people. I think there are some people, I think they're on Twitter, right? I don't don't know many people who wake up in the morning saying, Rejection. I want to be insulted today. What names can I be called, right? I don't don't personally know anyone like that, okay? Uh, So that's that's not usually how we operate. We We don't rush headlong into that kind of treatment. And so Jesus... Jesus prepares us for that, for that kind of secondary reality by reminding us what is primary. Three times in this passage, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Now, why does he have to say that? Because these the things on this list make us afraid. So three times, Jesus says, don't be afraid. And he gives us several reasons for not being afraid. And really... It all kind of, they're all kind of the same, right? It's like a, it's like a diamond with different facets. It's all, it all comes back to this idea of primary versus secondary reality, right? Anchoring in primary reality. But let's, let's look at these different reasons that Jesus gives. The first we could summarize this way. He says, your God is more powerful than your enemies. Look at verse 26 and I want you to remember that Jesus who Jesus is speaking to he is speaking to unimportant, uninfluential people. These are Galilean peasants. We got fishermen, we have a tax collector, right? These are these are not people who operate the levers of power. They do not have a prominent voice, okay? And so Jesus has told them that they're going to be dragged before courts and kings. That's scary. You're going to be dragged before people who have power. And so Jesus comforts them kind of with two thoughts under this heading. Under this idea that God is more powerful, there are two thoughts under this. He says, one, you will be vindicated. So verse 26, have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Powerful people can make things happen. And they can often make things happen in secret. They can silence voices they don't like. They can make people disappear. Right? They, they work the, the levers of power uh, can happen behind the scenes. And they can make things happen um, where no one can do anything about it. At least they can try, and so that's one fear. And to that fear, Jesus says, "Don't worry. Whatever happens in secret, it will be made known. Whatever people try to cover up now, will be revealed." Uh, Wang Yi, you spell that name: W-A-N-G, Yi, Y-I. Wang Yi is the pastor of Early Rain Covenant Church in China. And he was arrested in December of 2018 and sentenced to prison several years in 2019. And this is his story. Uh, he, he spoke out for many years um, right, against the Chinese government, uh, maintaining the right of the church, not to be governed by the government, but to be governed by Jesus. And that eventually cost him, right? He was put behind bars and it cost his church. People had their homes taken. They had their stuff taken. Uh, They were unable to meet. You can learn more about Wang Yi if you go to ChinaPartnership.org. Many of his writings have been recently published in a book called Faithful Disobedience. And so despite their best efforts to silence Wang Yi, he is not silent, uh, and what he has done is known uh, around the world, maybe not known as well in China, but it is known around the world. It's known in places like the United States, uh, and it will be known, right? The, 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 the lid will be blown off in, on Judgment Day, so nothing is hidden. Right? These displays of power that aim to discourage people and intimidate people through fear, Jesus says you don't have to be afraid. Things may be covered up now, but one day everything will be revealed. And so what you need to do is what, what I tell you in secret, you proclaim from the housetops. What I tell you in the dark, you tell it in the light. You do not have to be afraid. You're, you will be vindicated. And then he goes on. He says, not only that, not only will you be vindicated, but also no one can really harm you. Look at verse 28. Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Notice Jesus does not say, hey, your physical safety is guaranteed. They're not going to be able to do anything that harms you physically. He doesn't say that. He doesn't promise that. But what he does say is, all they can do is kill your body. That's it. They can take away your physical life, but they cannot affect your eternity. Only God is capable of doing that. So when it comes to choosing between who you will fear, fear him and not them. Honor him And not them. They can't really harm you. Right now, that's hard because fear of man comes easy. We're afraid of those who have more power than we do. It's like those scenes in the movies where the little kid is cornered in the alley by the bully. And the bully's cracking his knuckles. And he starts pummeling the little kid. But then that shadow creeps over the bully's shoulder, and that strong hand is laid on his neck and grips him and pulls him off. The little boy's father has come, and he's rescued his son. That bully has no power when someone stronger is there. And that's what Jesus is saying. Have no fear of them. They really can't hurt you. Sure. And I know this is scary. They can take away your physical life. But ultimately, they can do nothing to really harm you. So fear God. And not only, not only is your God more powerful than your enemies, but he's also your father. And he cares for you. And that's the second reason Jesus gives. And he goes on to talk about how cheap sparrows were, right? Right? They're numerous, they're small, they're a cheap meal in the marketplace. You could, you could buy two sparrows for the smallest coin. And yet, Jesus says, not one sparrow, not one of these tiny little insignificant birds drops to the ground apart from your Father's will. His eye is on the sparrow, as the old hymn used to say. Your father controls the life and death of tiny birds. And not only that, but your father is also mindful of every hair on your head. I know somebody's going to make the joke. There's less than there used to be, right? He's mindful of every hair follicle. Okay? In other words, nothing escapes his notice. He is in complete control of the most insignificant of details. Right? I mean, he's cataloged every follicle out of which dead hair cells grow. And here's the good news you are more valuable to him than little birds and hair. He is your father. And he cares for you. This is your God. This God who is the creator of the universe. And maintains everything. He maintains the the heartbeats of little insignificant birds. That you probably will never ever see. And he is your father. And he cares for you. Then there's the third reason. And this is where it begins to get difficult. If Jesus accepts you then that means you can face rejection from others. Now, the reason this is difficult and why this is the hardest for us to deal with is because we're made to be accepted. We are made to be loved. That is how God designs us. And so when we are not loved, when we are not accepted, we feel that viscerally. And the place where that is designed to happen, the relationships in which that is most designed to be happened by God is the family. In fact, in first century Jewish culture, the family, it's a little bit different in the individualistic West, but but in first century Jewish culture and a lot of cultures around the world, family trumps everything. Your obligation to your family was more important than anything else. I mean, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. But as Jesus points out here, there is a higher obligation. There is a more important relationship. And so what Jesus says in verse 34 is shocking. He says this, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace. Now wait just a minute. If If you've been around the church for a while, especially at Christmas season, we talk about Jesus and peace all the time. In fact, right, Isaiah says that Jesus would be called the Prince of Peace. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that Jesus is our peace. So is this the Bible contradicting itself? Is Jesus saying something different than these other biblical authors? No. Jesus is using a way of speaking in the Jewish world where you intentionally said something shocking to get your hearer's attention. He's getting them to to wake up and, and listen and think hard about what he's saying. What does Jesus mean when he says he doesn't come to bring peace but a sword? He means this. Jesus is the prince of peace. He does reconcile us to God, right? He closes the gap. He reconciles the war between man and God and between man and man. That those who believe in Jesus, regardless of what background they come from, are part of one body. So he does bring reconciliation. But that peace is not accepted by everyone. And for those who reject that peace, Jesus brings a sword. And what does a sword do? It divides. And what Jesus tells us here, he actually is quoting from the Old Testament book of Micah. He says that that Jesus will divide down to the closest family relationships. That a man will be divided from his father, a daughter, her mother, daughter-in-law and mother-in-law. Now that last one may not be as shocking to some of you, um, but in Jesus' world right the daughter-in-law was brought into her husband's family and so that was a that was a key point of division right jesus says a person's enemies will be those of his own household that's pretty shocking in a culture that prizes family the way that jesus does why will that happen because loyalty to jesus supersedes all other loyalties jesus Je- loyalty to Jesus challenges all other loyalties. Now that's, that's hard. But here's the good news. Jesus says in verse 32, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, acknowledges, everyone who owns me, everyone who embraces me, everyone who says, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my Savior and my King, Jesus says, everyone who embraces me like that, who owns me like that, I will own before the Father. That means before the heavenly throne room, before the heavenly court, that if you embrace Jesus, you are embraced by God. That God the Father accepts you because of the Son. And so that's that's the choice. Accepting, acknowledging Jesus may mean that you are rejected by your family. Owning Jesus may mean that you are disowned by your family. And friend, that happens. Here, it happens all around the world, all the time. But Jesus says you can face that rejection Because you are accepted by me. Your father in heaven accepts you. Even when everyone else rejects you. Primary reality. Secondary reality. That doesn't mean it's not real. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. But you have the peace of knowing. That the God of heaven and earth. Accepts you. Even when everyone else rejects you. That's another reason that Jesus gives. The last reason. Kind of. Lumping a bunch of them together here. The reward outweighs the risk. In the last few verses of the passage, verses forty through forty-two, that may have those may have sounded a little strange to you. Here's basically what Jesus is saying: <laughs> Not everyone will reject you. Those who receive you receive me, and those who receive me receive him who sent me. So not only are you accepted by Jesus, but everyone who accepts your message about Jesus, they get accepted as well. Everyone who honors you like a prophet and like a righteous person who listens to your message and receives it and makes it their own, they receive your reward. So it's not a totally bleak picture. In fact, even the smallest kindness, a cup of cold water given to one of Jesus' disciples, that's what... The word little ones there doesn't refer to children. refers to Jesus' helpless disciples. Even the smallest gesture of kindness given to one of Jesus' disciples will be rewarded. And so that we have that comfort. That even as others reject, others will receive reward. Because of the message that we share. Because of Jesus. The reward outweighs... The risk. Look at verse 38. Jesus says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, when Jesus talks about taking the cross, taking up the cross, he's not referring to suffering in general. He's not talking about cancer, arthritis, poverty. right? He's not talking about any of the trials and miseries that can come with in, in a fallen world. He has a very specific suffering in mind, and that is execution. Now, Jesus' followers at this point, they, they don't know yet that Jesus is going to be crucified. They haven't, they haven't experienced that yet. We know that from this end, but they don't know it yet. But they would have understood what Jesus was talking about when he says taking the cross because they lived in Roman-occupied territory. They would have seen people executed by crucifixion. They would have seen men walking down the main street of the town, carrying the crossbeam on their back on their way to the hill of execution outside the city. They would have known that was a one-way trip. Those people were not coming back. What Jesus is saying is, if you're not willing to walk that road with me, you are not worthy of me. That's a stark challenge right the person who takes up the cross to follow jesus is renouncing everything it's a it's a one way trip there is no there is no coming back from that jesus is saying you you can't have it both ways you have me or you have life as you know it but you can't hold on to both but here's the good news in verse 39 Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What does he mean, whoever finds his life? This is one thing that Jesus says repeatedly. He means that if you want to strive for and maintain life in the here and now, wealth, power, acceptance, all of those things that we want to gather and accrue life as we know it, the the good life as defined by the United States of America. Okay? Jesus says if that's what you want, if that's what you're seeking to find, you're going to lose it. But if you give all of that up, he says no one who loses his life for my sake Excuse me, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What he's saying is, if you lose your life for Jesus' sake, if you sacrifice everything to follow him, then you will have found the only life worth living. Give up the life that you think you know. And follow Jesus down into death, and you will receive the only life that is worth living. That's what we said at the beginning. Primary reality versus secondary reality. Which one will set the agenda for your life? Jesus is not calling you to anything he hasn't first done himself. Right? jesus The life that Jesus invites you on... Is a life that he himself lived. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself so great his love and blood for all his chosen race. Tis mercy all immense and free. For oh my God, it found out me. Jesus left his place, and he didn't. I mean, this is this is what we celebrate at Advent, right? The king of heaven becomes a carpenter's child. He's born not in a palace, but in a barn, in a feed trough. He lives his life in an insignificant place, never known, at least not in uh, in the regular sense. Right? He wasn't a prominent or important person as the world would esteem him. He was humiliated. He lived his life in obscurity for the most part. And then at his death, he was rejected by the authorities, beaten, tortured. He was left by his friends. Even those closest to him abandoned him in his moment of need. And so he went to the cross all alone except for his father. And then on the cross as we sing the father turns his face away. The father takes all of the wrath for human sin and pours it it out on his son. Jesus faces worse rejection than you or I will ever face. And what does Hebrews tell us? He endured the cross and despised its shame. Why? So that you and I could know the Father, so that you and I could be brought in. That's the invitation that Jesus gives. Keep your life, and you'll lose it. Lose your life for his sake, and then you will have found it. Do you believe him? Let's pray. Jesus, you say some hard things here. And we would be tempted to walk away from those. It's not always what we want to hear, especially not in this season. But they're true, and we need to hear them. Lord, I pray that we would receive your invitation. That we would be willing to yield our lives even to death for your sake. So that we could experience life as you give it. Lord for those of us who do not yet know you. I pray that you would give eyes to see and ears to hear. That for the first time. We would trust in you today. And receive life. Lord for those of us who do know you. Would you help us to persevere in walking with you. There are many challenges in front of us. And as Rick shared earlier, it is easy to be afraid. To not speak when we ought to speak. To remain silent when we should speak up. So Lord, would you give us courage and perseverance. To be your witnesses in very difficult circumstances. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.